Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT. Because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises. From the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer. Which is why no matter what line of work you're in, They've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest wi-fi access for customers bt's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy whatever your business bt's got your back search bt's got your back hello this is the red box podcast i'm matt chorley on autumn statement day jeremy hunt finally laying out his plans tax rises spending cuts coming down the tracks he's had what five weeks in the job making him a positive veteran compared to his predecessor, Kwasi Kwarteng. The big political question over the next few weeks, months and couple of years will be, who gets the blame for all of this? Jeremy Hunt arguing that this is a recession made in Russia, born out of the invasion of Ukraine, and he had a British plan to clear it up, while the Labour Party, Rachel Reeves, the Shadow Chancellor, arguing that these problems predate the Ukrainian war, they predate the pandemic, This is what happens after 12 years of the Conservatives in government. I'm sure we'll discuss that much more in the coming uh, days and weeks. Uh, Coming up on today's episode of the podcast, we'll have the columnists, Knight of the Marriott, Indian Knight and James Marriott, on what they really think of Jeremy Hunt. We've also got a special Think Tank Thursdays. Polly McKenzie, former Lib Dem policy chief in the coalition. Rachel Wolfe, who wrote Boris Johnson's Conservative Manifesto in 2019, giving us a sort of big picture sense of how we judge whether or not this has been a success. But first, here is a quick potted guide to what was in the autumn statement. Today we respond to an international crisis with British values. We are honest about the challenges and we are fair in our solutions. Yes, we take difficult decisions to tackle inflation and keep mortgage rates down. But our plan also leads to a shallower downturn, lower energy bills higher growth and a stronger NHS and education system. Three priorities then today. Stability, growth and public services. Asking more from those who have more means that the first difficult decision I take on tax is to reduce the threshold at which the 45p rate becomes payable from £150,000 to £125,140. This is a balanced plan for stability, a plan for growth, 
and a plan for public services. It shows that you don't need to choose either a strong economy or good public services. With Conservatives, and only with Conservatives, you get both. And I commend this statement to the House. Here we are, the end of 2022. Three Prime Ministers, four Chancellors, and four budgets later. And where do we find ourselves? In a worse place than we started the year. Inflation spiralling, growth plunging, living standards falling. Mr Speaker, Britain is a great country with fantastic strengths. But because of this government's mistakes, we are being held back. What people will be asking themselves at the next election is this. And me and my family better off with a Conservative government? And the answer is no. Rachel Weaves there, Labour Shadow Chancellor, uh, responding to uh, the autumn statement from uh, Jeremy Hunt's. Jeremy Hunt setting out his priorities as being stability, growth and public services. He said the government was, was responding to an international crisis, but with British values. He said it was a recession made in Russia, but there was a recovery made in Britain. Rachel Weaves says Britain's problems started before the pandemic and Russia's invasion of Ukraine saying the mess we are in is not a result of 12 weeks of conservative chaos, but 12 years of conservative economic policy. Let me just take you through some of the key things we've learned in just uh, the last hour. Inflation expected to average 9.1% this year, 7.4% next year. It's according to forecasts from the Office of Budget Responsibility, which thinks Britain is already in recession. Overall, the economy is still forecast to grow by 4.2% this year, then shrink next year before growing again in the years that followed. Although, as Dominic O'Connor was pointing out earlier, these growth forecasts tend to be a bit optimistic. Borrowing uh, this year, £177 billion. Pounds. Uh, then this year, that's £140 billion next year. Then falling after that, a £55 billion pound package of tax rises and spending cuts. Uh, the wealthiest uh, being, uh, the, well, the highest paid anyway, the, the rate you start paying, the 45p rate will fall from £150,000 to £125,000. Uh, there's also uh, thresholds being frozen, so uh, the rates you start paying, in- the income tax personal allowance, the higher rate threshold, the main national insurance rate thresholds, inher- inheritance tax as well, all frozen for two years. So more people, as inflation pushes, pushes up the amount of money you're earning, uh, more people being trapped in that. Uh, if you've got an electric car because you don't pay any uh, vehicle uh, tax, uh, that's going. Uh, there, you'll have to start paying that. Uh, the stamp duty cut uh, uh, put in place by Quasi Quartang will remain. The windfall tax on energy companies is being extended from 25% to 35%. Labels see that as a win. There's also a big one uh, hitting energy uh, supplies, uh, electricity uh, generators as well. A re-evaluation of business rates from 2023 could mean higher bills for some firms. And then on spending, uh, Jeremy Hunt said the amount of money promised to government departments will remain in cash terms for the next two years. But obviously lots of demands, not least for uh, for inc- uh, more money for, for pay increases for staff. After that, spending will grow by 1% a year in real terms above inflation. Uh, he promised to protect to spend, defend the defence budget at 2% of GDP, not the 3% the Defence Secretary uh, Ben Wallace uh, wanted. There's more money for schools and uh, more money for uh, social care and uh, the NHS. Uh, as a new nuclear power station coming for Sizewell C, that's been announced. Uh, and uh, more money to insulate your loft. 
because hopefully that will bring down uh, bills in the future. Benefits rising in line with inflation and pensions too, and the national minimum wage rising by 9.7%, so just below inflation, uh, to an hourly rate of £10.42 from April next year. Uh, Lucy Fisher, uh, Times Radio's Chief Political Commentator, and Dominic O'Connor, our business correspondent here. Uh, Lucy, your first big immediate takeaway from all of that? Well, it's largely uh, as trailed on the tax front, isn't it, uh, Matt? Uh, In terms of personal taxes, it is the wealthier who are going to be hit hugely by the lowering of that top income tax threshold coming down from uh, 150 grand to 125 grand. Also, the removal of three quarters of the allowances for capital gains tax and for dividend tax, uh, albeit in stages over, over the next two years. Uh, energy uh, firms as well facing a big windfall tax as we expected that will raise a lot of money, 14 billion Uh, I thought it was interesting and politically astute on the spending side uh, that uh, health uh, and education uh, are getting a bit of a boost um, more than I was actually expecting so over the next two years, 3 billion extra for the NHS and 4.7 billion extra for social care although reform of social care delayed yet again, will that ever happen? I'm hard to see how an education uh, budget getting almost uh, 5 billion over the next two years for, for schools, so those are issues that voters care most about, I think it's uh, probably a wise move to have given them some extra cash. Uh, Dominic O'Connor, explain to us how this works, because it sounds like half of the £55 he says is coming from spending, and yet all he really announced was increases in spending for schools and hospitals. How does he save money there? It's what you alluded to, it's the effect of inflation, uh, basically giving him a 10% cut every year. If you you don't increase something, but inflation in cash terms, but inflation is is creeping up by 10% a year, then you are making that cut, whether you you like it or not. And I think households actually will feel this most of all. Just going through the OBR, the OBR is forecasting next year a 7% fall in in household disposable incomes. I think that is the biggest fall ever uh, and will take income household incomes back to 2013 levels. They're also uh, forecasting a 9% fall in house prices. The, the other thing that really strikes me about uh, what Jeremy Hunt said is that despite all these savings that he's doing and tax rises, uh, total UK government debt as a proportion of GDP hardly moves at all. It peaks in uh, 2025 at 97.6% of GDP, so close to 100% of GDP. By 27-28, it's still only shrunk just to 97.3%. So they're running really hard to to move the dial on GDP, to to have a fiscal target in it by a tiny amount. And when we say, you know, there's lots of talks of balancing the books, they're not balancing the books, are they? There's no. still billions of pounds being borrowed every year. No, they're not balancing the books. Um, any market reaction yet? I know it's early because you've yes, only been yes, there is. Because, down. because the the the, uh, the government isn't going to be borrowing as much as as markets had feared this year and next year, uh, so they're not going to be issuing as many gilts. That means gilt yields have already started to move. Just be looking at the ten year gilt yield, which is one that people do focus on. It's moved from about three point three percent to three point one four percent just in the past hour as people have digested this idea. So that's quite a big move for gilts. A move in the right direction as far as the government's concerned. Government okay, let's bring in uh, now. Ben Ben Zaranko from the Institute of Fiscal Studies. Afternoon, Ben. Good afternoon. Uh, what uh, leaps out uh, for you? I mean, it's all quite stealthy, isn't it? Uh, dragging people into paying uh, income tax thresholds they might not otherwise have done. Uh, telling government departments where you can have the same amount of cash and the fact that everything costs more is your own business. Yes, there's, there's definitely a large element of allowing inflation to do the work for him. I think the big picture is that he's loosened his fiscal rules. He's now changed the targets to allow for more borrowing and and more debt than was previously allowed. He's announced 
a big package of stealthy tax rises. He's announced a squeeze on public spending after the next election. And yet, as you've just said, he's only just on track to be meeting those rules. And that really is because of the dramatic deterioration in the outlook for the economy and for the public finances. For the economy, that's mainly a story of higher energy prices just you know, bearing down on how much growth we're expecting to get. And on the, the fiscal side, we're going to be spending an extraordinary amount on debt interest compared to what we've spent in recent years. And that, that higher interest cost for the government is really what's making the choices on tax and spending even more difficult. And that, that, that's really at the heart of the Chancellor's policy response today. Uh, and in terms of, because lots of people listening to this want to know how they are personally going to uh, feel. I mean, clearly the fact that for the people at the bottom, uh, pe- uh, benefits are rising in line with inflation, a big rise, albeit just below the rate of inflation in in the uh, the national living wage, the pensions triple lock. How tough is life going to be for, for, for normal people on normal incomes over the next year or so? Life is going to be tough. I think that it's true that certain elements like the pensions triple lock and it's a state pension like working age benefits uh, will go up broadly, more or less in line with inflation. There's no sign that private sector earnings will keep pace with inflation this year, but they're doing a lot better than public sector earnings. Um, and so people in work are probably going to be feeling very much a squeeze. Um, there's also the chance has announced that the energy support package will be sort of phased out marginally for, for better off people. So their bills will rise in April, which will you know add add pain there too. It's going to be a very difficult couple of years. I don't think there was too much sugarcoating of that. I think the Chancellor um, made that clear. But what he did do was try to blame global headwinds and global economic forces beyond his or the government's control. And I think there's certainly some truth to that, but you could be forgiven if you'd just forgotten that the mini-budget happened less than two months ago and the impact that's had on some of these things too. And that's an interesting point, isn't it, Lucy? There's the, the, the clear... He kept on all the way through the statement, Jeremy Hunt saying this is all down to external forces. We're just reacting to what's happened in Russia, the fallout of the pandemic. And the Labour Party really tried to pin this on the government. So this is your fault. You know, this is, we were in a financial mess before. You've made it worse. You're clearing up your own mess. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and the people who will feel really pinched uh, and, and most uh, aggrieved, I think, in, in a way, uh, are the middle earners um, for whom a lot of the tax burden will fall. Wealthier people can possibly afford uh, the, the tax rises they're going to see. There has been a lot of help rolled out for the poorest with uh, uh, universal credit rising in line with inflation, these new cost of living payments, the uh, uh, rent rise on uh, social uh, housing capped. That's still going to be expensive for those people, but there's a lot of help. It's, there's just very little for middle earners who are feeling the squeeze and who I think will feel um, very angry that they're being uh, feeling the pinch with nothing really in it for them. And how difficult is this going to get for business, Dom? Because on the one hand, people have less money in their pockets, they're not going to go out and spend it. I mean, I suppose the one thing that businesses want more than anything is certainty. Do you think that, that if you were holding off on a, investing in some, uh, in some you know, expansion, expanding your business, if you were holding off on that, would this encourage you to do it or do you just batten down the hatches? Uh I, well, the UK economy is uniquely exposed to the consumer. It is a, you know, yeah. it is a big consumer-driven economy. So if you think the consumer is going to be much worse off next year, which the, uh, which the Office for Budget Responsibility thinks it is, it's going to be a, a very nasty squeeze on, on disposable income, then you probably hold off. However, Jeremy Hunt did stress the importance of growth, and he named five sectors, digital uh, life sciences, the green economy, financial services and advanced manufacturing, where the government was going to spend some money. Whether that amounts to an industrial strategy, which we don't have one of, 
of, of course, uh, ditched by Quasi Quarting, I doubt. Uh, but there was something there for, for business, I think, um, but nothing there for uh, for oil and gas companies who are being encouraged to bid on a new North Sea licensing round and being given tax incentives to do so, but at the same time having their, their, the tax on their profits increase greatly. Uh, ben Zwanker from the RFS, just, just finally, put this into some sort of historical perspective. How big a deal is today? I think this is a very... Could has has a potential at least to be a very historically significant budget. There are echoes of 1997 with very very tight spending plans penciled in beyond the next election, and what that does is almost set the baseline from which the parties will be arguing about what they ought to do and how they're going to pay for it. So I think in that sense, it's very important, and it also pencils in now these these tax threshold freezes right through to the second half, almost the end of this decade, where none of these things like income tax thresholds are now just not expected to increase at all. And again, that becomes the baseline. So in terms of locking in policy, I think this has potential to be very significant. Yes. Ben, thanks so much for that. Ben Zwanker there from the Institute for Fiscal Studies. If you are just joining us on Times Radio, Jeremy Hunt, the Chancellor, in the last hour setting out a pretty big autumn statement, the one from Quasi Quartem, we called a mini budget. There's nothing mini about this. Uh, So in terms of the top line uh, uh, issues that you'll want to know about, a freeze in the income tax threshold, as Ben was just saying, will mean millions of people paying more in income tax. At the, at the very top, uh, Jeremy Hunt reducing the threshold at which you start paying the 45p rate. That's coming down from 150000 to 125000 There'll be an increase in the national living wage from the current level of £9.50 an hour for over 23s up to over £10. Support for energy bills announced by Liz Truss will remain in place. But from April, the energy price guarantee that capped average bills to £2,500 will rise to £3,000. The pensions triple lock will be maintained, so pensions will go up from 10, by 10% from April, along with uh, benefits uh, rising in line with inflation as well. As Don was just saying, energy firms hit with an expanded windfall tax of 35, uh, 35%, that's up from 25%. And your electric uh, car will no longer be exempt from vehicle excise duty from April 2025. Most of the savings in uh, public spending being uh, made by just freezing planned uh, spending, so it's not rising in line with inflation. So if government department, which is unlike uh, the NHS and schools, are getting more money. But other government departments uh, will just have to try to achieve the same amounts uh, uh, with uh, with the money they were promised before, despite the cost of everything uh, going up. Lucy, um, we heard from Rachel Reeves earlier. Any more sort of broader political reactions so far? Uh, I'm still waiting to see um, uh, people coming out at the moment, Matt. Um, I will update you as soon as we're getting more in. I mean, there's a big challenge here for the... Uh, up until now, was it five weeks, uh, five, six weeks of... Uh, uh, Jeremy Hunt and uh, Rishi Sunak. Conservative MPs have been pretty well behaved up until now, basically waiting for this moment. Do you think he will have done enough to keep all wings of what is already a pretty fractured Conservative Party happy? Well, I think people will vote for it. I, I think you, you get very few people um, planning to rebel on what will clearly be made a confidence motion, although there was some, some suggestion yesterday from Esther McVeigh, former uh, pension secretary, that she wouldn't um, support um, huge tax rises without getting rid of what she called vanity projects like HS2. And today, uh, I think uh, I'm actually a little bit surprised by uh, Jeremy Hunt committing to all the infrastructure, road and rail projects um, that, that had been um, 
that are on on the table. I think many people had expected a little bit of a, a cut in investment, uh, capital investment there. I think there'll be grumbling from the moderates on um, foreign aid staying at 0.5% of GNI for the next uh, five years. You know, people had hoped it would rise again to the 0.7%, which was a manifesto pledge. And it was interesting, he sort of heaped praise on Andrew Mitchell, yes. uh, former international development secretary, now backing government. Previously, he'd have probably led the rebellion on exactly that. Jeremy Hunt would probably have joined it as well. Yes. And now uh, they're all Now they're in. bound in. Yeah. Now they're bound in. So look, I think there will be grumbling about um, uh, measures um, and, and the scale of tax rises. You know, it's just... As Chancellor Rishi Sunak was uh, was the Conservative Chancellor who's raised taxes to their highest level in 70 years. It goes even further today with him as Prime Minister. Um, I, there will be a disgruntlement there, but by and large at this stage of the game, I think people will uh, broadly support it. Um, Dom, in terms of reassuring the markets, given that this was this is basically what this is an exercise in, it all went haywire with Kwasi Kwarto. Has he done enough, do you think? Has he done too much? Could he have... Could he have been a bit more generous and still, uh, you know, calmed the, steadied the horses? I think he possibly could, although it seems to have done the thing we were talking about, what's happening to guilt yields at the moment. Just again, looking at the OBR, in terms of total government debt, it'll be £400 billion higher at the end of this forecast period, at the end of uh, 2027, going into 2028, than it was forecast to be in March. So total government borrowing is going to is going to rise, even though, as we discussed before, uh, we, we get that, fi- that tiny blip down at the end of the forecast period. Uh, The other thing the OBR stresses, and I think should definitely be borne in mind, and Jeremy Hunt will have this at the back of his mind, is how sensitive this budget is to changes in two things. First of all, energy prices. Energy prices could really uh, put a giant hole in this budget or indeed help it an awful lot, make it make, make uh, government spending a lot less uh, a lot less large. And the second thing is interest rates. The OBR forecasts interest rates to peak at 5% next year in the UK. The Bank of England actually thinks it'll be less than that, but the OBR says sticking to the sticking to the higher number. But international events and and uh, local events as well could could intervene. And if interest rates go higher uh, and the government ends up paying more interest on its debt, that will make a huge hole uh, in the government's finances and make this budget um, uh, look a uh, hostage to fortune. Um, and it's an interesting point you make about energy. Uh, if we have a mild winter, people don't use as much. That's probably good news for the government. Good. If you have a very cold winter, the government's picking up all of the extra on bills. Exactly. So the so the, the temperature this winter will make a difference. Although gas prices this winter are not as high as most people forecast, because demand in Europe has fallen back because Europe was able to for, to fill up its reservoirs much more quickly than everybody thought. So the absence of Russian gas is not going to be that big a deal this winter. But for the following winter. Most forecasters are expecting that, that that is going to reverse and gas prices will be high again next winter, just when we thought they might have come off. So it's next winter is a big, is a big uh, pinch point now. That was Lucy Fisher and Dominic O'Connell there from Times Radio. Right, uh, let's take a step back from the detail now. It's time for this. The Columnists with Night at the Marriott, India Knight and James Marriott on Times Radio. Yes. Joining me in the studio, James Marriott's here. Morning, James. Good morning. And beaming in is India Night. Morning, India. Good morning. Now, India, you're missing out because James has got all dressed up. I can see James is wearing a suit. He's got he a suit. Very I've it's never very seen it before. I feel weird. Well, but the thing is, if you're appearing at the magistrate's court, that's what you need to do. <laughs> I know. I mean, in my defence, you know, I was very drunk and I shouldn't have, you know, I shouldn't have stolen that policeman's helmet. But <laughs> why, are you, why are you dressed up, James? Uh, I'm, going, I'm, going for, I'm going for a posh lunch. Um, a bit like Robert Peston, who I don't know if you saw on Twitter yesterday, was complaining about 
being forced to wear smart shoes at a private members club. I am wearing my smart shoes. Are you going for lunch with Robert Pester? No, um, no, uh, I'm not <laughs> going for lunch with Robert Pester. But I mean, he went for lunch in a similar place and was incorrectly dressed. I'm going for lunch in somewhere like that, but I'm very correctly dressed. You are from very my, smart. From my shoes like to, my, to my tie. Yeah, very, very smart. Do you go to sorts of places where there's a dress code like that, India? No. <laughs> no, no okay. I avoid them if I possibly can. I don't really get dressed that much. Um, and in fact, I was, I was very annoying to not be in the studio with you. I was in London for the earlier part of the week and I had to wear proper clothes and, crucially, proper shoes. And I don't really like it. It's quite sort of restrictive. And Do you feel different, James, wearing a suit? Do you feel more kind of... Yeah, I feel powerful. Do you? Do you yeah. feel more powerful? A little bit. So, I, yeah, I've got this issue because I'm going on this boat. I'm going on this cruise, the, the Times Literary Cruise, in a couple of weeks. And there's all these instructions about what you can wear in the daytime and what you can wear in a normal evening and then what you have to wear on a gala evening. Is this just for journalists or for everyone? No, it's for everyone. It's not this just doesn't for... say you make a good impression on the readers. They're no. worried they'll see you wandering around the ship in your pyjamas. No, no, it's for everybody. Okay, that Gala sounds... dinners. I've been in to... your onesie. Yeah, exactly. I've got to wear... <laughs> I've, got to... I've had to buy a second uh, dinner's... A second uh, shirt. Second dinner. That's well, because you know normally you wear, you wear your, your, your dinner suit once a year, so yeah, it's fine. Yeah, you not wear it. But yeah, twice in a week. Anyway. Anyway, let's move on and talk about <laughs> people who aren't going on uh, literary <laughs> cruises. Um, uh, let's talk about the awesome statement. Is this the last chance saloon uh, for the Conservatives to try and turn things around, do you think, India? Yes, I think it is. I mean, you know, the, the kind of inescapable thing is that they've been in power for 12 years. And um, I think that that's, that's that you you know that's central to the whole thing. I think it's um, I think the last chance saloon is in two bits. I think there's this bit, and then I think there's some kind of strategic giveaway uh, just before the next general election. I would imagine, um, but you know, I think they stand a fairly good chance. Actually, I think that people still view the Tories, rightly or wrongly, as um, fiscally responsible. And I think also people blame the state of the world as much, if not more, than they blame the Tories for the 12-year-old long mess. So, yes, it is the last chance to win, but I think there'll be a sweetener um, in a couple of years' time. Yeah, it's really interesting that um, uh, Oliver Shaw for the Sunday Times was saying earlier that he, that, that, you know, by, by backloading the spending cuts to beyond the next election... And hoping then if inflation comes down, then suddenly uh, things will look a bit rosy. You could probably cut tax a bit just before the next election and something makes a difference. And it's interesting, James, that the, the power of being honest, delivering bad news well. I mean, George Osborne basically spent five years doing that. And then they won a majority in 2016. But by basically, it became the long-term economic plan. It started life as a short-term plan and it didn't work. So it became a long-term plan. And actually having a plan, appearing to be honest, delivering, you know, and sympathetic... Yeah, I, I think I think it's very interesting. I mean, you know, clearly the way they're trying to sell this budget is, you know, these spending cuts are going to fall on those, you know, with the broadest shoulders. It's about protecting the most vulnerable. There's, you know, you can see the PR spin is very much trying to avoid any impression of austerity round two. What I what I do think in terms of honesty is that so far, I think it's interesting that you know Rishi Sunak has really benefited from just being a presence and sort of appearing like a grown up, and you know. We, you know, he's, you know, more popular than his party by a significant margin. And we can look at him and think, there's a sensible grown-up guy. Now he ha- now we have to find out how much of a sensible grown-up guy we think he is when he is actually, you know, standing up, making, you know, um, with Jeremy Hunt's budget, making a, a significant intervention. And 
you know, whether that sort of ambient feeling of a sensible guy in charge will survive contact with, you know, this is perhaps the first big kind of crunch with reality yeah. of this government, isn't well, it? Well, it's also whether it survives contact with Conservative MPs. Yeah, so far have been very quiet. Uh, but they, you know, we, we saw a little bit of it yesterday. Esther McVeigh stood up at the end of PMQs and said uh, she wouldn't back ta- she wouldn't back tax rises unless they scrapped HS two, uh, which you know that's quite a big challenge to Jeremy Hunt. Um, even if, well, interestingly, Jeremy Hunt said that she he if he'd become prime minister this year, he'd have made ex- Esther McVeigh's deputy prime minister. Now she's basically threatening to blow up his budget, which is interesting how these things um, how these th- uh, things turn out. Before, in fact, before we play this, what are your general impressions of Jeremy Hunt, James? Uh, not the most charismatic man in the world would be my would be my overall India. I think he seems quite benign. You know, he's not a cre- he's not immediately a creep. I don't think. I mean, I mean he probably take that damning with faint praise, yeah. but <laughs> he's not. He's not. He seems reasonably decent. But he's clever. He seems clever. I think he's clever. And he's and he's a sort of he's a great survivor given all yeah. of the sort of controversies. So he first became an MP in two, uh, May two thousand and five. David Cameron put him on the front bench in December that year when David Cameron became leader. Then it became shadow culture. He was culture secretary during the London twenty twelve Olympics before going on to become I think it's the longest serving health secretary from twenty twelve to twenty eighteen. Then Theresa May made him foreign secretary. Then when she resigned, Jeremy Hunt ran for the Tory leadership, which is how, this is the build-up, how in the summer of 2019, I found myself interviewing Jeremy Hunt on his morning run around central London. We went from his official residence at Carlton Terrace through Trafalgar Square, along the South Bank, and then back past Parliament. So we thought, just to get you, the man behind the autumn statement, uh, this is a quick guide to the man who's now Chancellor. How far are we going? Go on then, uh, let's start, let's start. We're just going to go three miles. Oh, please, oh, that's, that's, I can do that, hopefully. Keep on running. Keep on I used to run absolutely every day. Um, I've now cut it down to three to four times a week. But I just find it's the best way of switching off. When I was training to be a football referee, the coach said to me that you play football to escape your problems. You go running to solve your problems. Ah. So you, you do your political thinking on your run? I do all my thinking, actually. Um, you can just process thoughts. And uh, it's just also a great way to start the day. Hey, hey. Just pause for a moment, just uh, on the South Bank, so that I can get my breath back. Obviously, you're absolutely fine. So you talked about your um, business background, your entrepreneurial background. Are you really the richest man in the Cabinet? I've no idea. Oh, you must do. No, Talk to those boring meetings. Oh, you must have looked around the table. No idea at all. <laughs> um, but what I am is one of the very few people in the cabinet who's set up their own business from scratch, who didn't take the easy choice of going and working in the city or for a big consultancy, but in my early 20s, set out on my own. And one of your first business adventures was marmalade. Yeah. I lived in Japan for a couple of years and I noticed that you you couldn't buy Frank Cooper's Oxford marmalade and uh, so when I came back I found the manufacturers and got the exclusive marketing rights for Japan and I tracked up and down Japan 
trying to persuade them that this was the moment to go big on marmalade. Um, unfortunately, the marmalade boom, <laughs> if ever it existed, had passed me by. <clears throat> but I didn't give up and then did something else, something else, and finally, with my best friend, we set up a business that, that took off. Um, and you learn never to give up. This, you learn, is, this is hot courses. This is hot courses. And I was very proud that uh, I started as a publishing company straight on, then became an internet company. And uh, when we started, Google was just about around, but it was AltaVista, Jeeves, Yahoo. Yeah. We managed to survive. Keep on running. Let's talk about sort of policy stuff. Is austerity over? I think austerity is coming to a close because of some incredibly difficult decisions that were taken in 2010. The need for financial discipline is never over. And we have to be very clear that the loss of financial discipline under the last Labour government made the recession much worse than it would otherwise have been. What's your plan for social care? There is a funding issue. Uh, local authorities are struggling to pay for what most people would think is decent levels of care. We have to recognise that. Is that because cuts have been loaded onto councils? Because we're still slightly out of sight, out of mind, and now it's sort of caught up with them? I think they were the, the hidden victims of the cuts that were necessary in 2010. So what, all this exercise is very admirable. What is it that you're burning off? What's your vice? That means you have to go running every morning. Well, I have one or two vices, but um, the one that most particularly relates to running is probably my sweet tooth and love of desserts. Oh, very good. What's your favourite dessert? And you're not allowed to say eat and mess, because that's exactly. too obvious. It's definitely not eat and mess. Um, ooh. Oh, God. Do you know something? I, I can manage most desserts, but um, I'm a very chocolatey person. So, uh, anything chocolate I'm a sucker for. <clears throat> oh, I forgot what that sounded like. There's the two of us huffing and puffing around central London. Uh, so, um, India, two things that stood out for me uh, li- listening back to that. The importance of financial discipline was a, a thing that he thought... Uh, and actually, his admission that councils and social care were the hidden victims of austerity the last time, man. Because basically, yeah, George mean, Osborne cut budgets and, and but left councils to pick up the mess. And we're, we're basically reaping that. We saw that during the pandemic and we're still seeing it now. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it, it, it kind of uh, relates to what I was saying about him earlier. I think, I think he sees things quite clearly. And I sort of, sort of, trust him to do right by the right bits, as it were. I mean, we'll find out in 35 minutes. Um, but, yeah, it's interesting. He seems more thoughtful and less kind of gleefully malevolent than um, some of his predecessors, it seems to me. And I don't think he's very ideological. I think that's part of it, James. Mm. Is it, you could probably imagine Jeremy Hunt in Keir Starmer's front bench. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I guess that's, you know, kind of part of the challenge to Labour, isn't it? You know, can you match us for 
fiscal responsibility. Yeah. What would what are you going to do? What would you actually do differently? Yeah, yeah. No, it's interesting. Um, uh, and um, just there's just too much running, doing all your thinking on a run. Yeah, I was trying to. All I think about when I'm running is. God, I hate this. Yeah, that's my main thought. When I'm running. <laughs> I really, really, really want to stop running. Is my main running thought. Um, I was, I was really out... impressed by your. I was really impressed by the relative lack of breathlessness. I mean, you were both panting, but it could have been a lot worse. Well, I have to because when we did that at the time, I was training to do a ten k, so I was probably the oh. by total luck fluke. I was probably the, the fittest I'd ever been. And now, I, you know, I, 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 do a, I do 5k a week, and that's plenty. Was the run making your interview? Was it making it more tense? <laughs> or was it making it more relaxed? I was trying to work out whether you were like... I don't think I really was, was listening casual? to what he was saying. He could, have, he could have launched an extraordinary attack on a colleague and I wouldn't have noticed uh, that, that, um, that that happened. And the reason it happened was because I'd done some other podcasts with people walking other contenders and Jeremy Hunt decided it was more on brand to do it running. And that was why that, um, uh, why that happened. Um, uh, normally, James, running is a thing you do on your own. So let's talk about being a solitary genius. Yeah as you have in your column today. You are a solitary genius. Well, I like to, I like to think so. Yeah, this was uh, basically, actually, kind of um, a little bit against the grain for me, not being the world's most sociable person, but this was a defence of the idea that uh, being solitary is necessarily more profound and saying that, you know, we have this idea of lonely geniuses sitting alone in their attics in their laboratories working by themselves, and in fact, that's not true at all. And conversation and collaboration are the profound things and that's where good ideas come from, not just from people, you know, stuck on their own. I know. I also thought, India, it's basically what makes life good, isn't it? Well, for me, anyway, hanging around with people, chatting, finding, learning things, laughing. That's that's not absolutely. I think you a need, big sum. You need. Um, it's also, you know, it's, I, I love this column. It's always really irritated me the idea of the solitary genius. You know, the the buffin thinking their buffin thoughts all on their own. <laughs> Quite, uh, quite often, I mean, I really like my own company and I'm very comfortable with spending time on my own, but I have no thoughts at all, really. I mean, maybe the odd one every sort of seven or eight minutes. But, you know, what, what's, what's energising and interesting is, is bouncing off other people, including yeah. people you disagree with. I mean, I really like James's point in this piece that, that all this kind of hysteria around the idea of microaggressions and, you know, being incredibly offended by everything stems from a place of solitariness where you're insufficiently exposed to other people and therefore insufficiently used to list to hearing all kinds of different points of view and 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 processing your way through them without you know having a hissy fit and going home i suppose it's that thing isn't it James? When we talk about social media people think they're connecting with people but it, only connecting with people you agree with or who, who you've yeah. chosen and really you're on your own you're on it, your own Texting someone or tweeting someone isn't the same as talking to someone. No, it isn't, which is why it's so nice that you're here. And yeah. looking so smart. <laughs> Have a lovely lunch. Do report back. Let us know how Robert Peston is. James Marriott and India Night. And of course, you can read them both in The Times every week. James on a Thursday, India in the Sunday Times. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next is Think Tank Thursdays. Hello, welcome to Off Air with Jane and Fee. I'm Jane Garvey. And I'm Fee Glover. And this is the new and exclusive home of our joint podcasting exploits. Aren't we grand? <laughs> Every Monday to Thursday evening, we talk all things fact, fun, nonsense, utter gibberish, you name it, we talk about it. We also find ourselves joined by the great and the good. That makes it sound accidental, doesn't it? <laughs> so join us for Off Air with Jane and Fee. Monday to Thursday on the Free Times Radio app and wherever else you get your podcasts. 
Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast. Now, it's time for this. Yes, 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 yes. We're going to do a very special edition of Think Tank Thursdays. Yeah, every week we convene our Think Tank Thursdays to, to pick through policy, try to work out what works and what doesn't. And ahead of the autumn statement, we thought we'd we'd get our think tankers to think some think tank thoughts about autumn statements and budgets and all of that. Polly McKenzie was policy chief to the Lib Dems in the coalition. She's now the chief social purpose officer for the University of the Arts London. Morning, Polly. Morning. And we've got Rachel Wolfe, uh, who co-wrote the Conservatives' manifesto in 2019 and now is founding partner at Public First. Hi, Rachel. Hello. Uh, Rachel, first of all, your um, uh, what makes a good... I mean, I know this is an autumn statement, it's not a budget, so there's no red box, but in all intents and purposes, it's got everything, all the bells and whistles that we'd expect, growth forecast, tax and spend and so on. What, what's what's the, the, the yardstick that we judge uh, Jeremy Hunt on? What makes a good autumn statement? Well, normally in a budget, uh, what tends to define whether people think it's good or not is the media coverage over the few days after it. So there's always like the day where it's great and then the unravelling in this kind of completely consistent way. Um, that, that's normally how it's judged. And then how boring think tank people like me uh, judge it is whether they actually think it's going to um, improve public services or growth or the economy. And and one of the things Rishi Sunak, I think, used to be very good at when he was chancellor was trying to do a few very big things at the budget, not do loads of small uh, gimmicks. Um, I don't think that's the yardstick we can use today, which is going to be uh, minimising catastrophe in as sensible way as possible, right? Like we know it's going to be very uh, difficult. We know that there are going to be some tax rises. We know there are going to be some public spending squeezes. There is not going to be a lot of good news. Um, so I suspect what we will judge today on is by how much it further deteriorates the chances of the government losing the next election. Um, and and uh, Polly, do, do you, well, first of all, do you uh, agree with that? And then what, is there a way of, it's sort of weird, isn't it, how we, we're judging this probably by more by market reaction than polling reaction. And, you know, actually we're returning to the experts to, to look at, is this an economic plan which is going to work rather than was there a thing in it that people liked and they went up five points in the polls? Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we should think about budgets as whether they are an economic plan that will work. Um, and, and thinking about whether the markets and bond traders, who are apparently very woke these days, um, like it is, is sort of really suboptimal way of thinking about it, just as is it popular with Megan Barnsley is a is not the greatest way to think about a budget either. Um, 
but we are we're stuck with it because what happened in the previous fiscal event which i think was the th- is this the fourth or is it the th- fifth the third this year wait well no because we had the spring statement and then we had the summer like redux where we actually had an energy thing and then we had the the crash one and then and there, was, four. there was number four? four yeah i was just trying to remember there was another budget or so anyway there's been a lot of fiscal statements this year and the last one you know pushed up the cost of borrowing by about 10 billion pounds a year for the government so it was quite serious and therefore the the greatest challenge for this is simply can they hold the confidence that they have uh, established with those markets because whether you like bond traders or not it affects the interest rate that the Bank of England sets borrowing costs for, therefore the government, less money for public services, and it affects interest rates for mortgage owners and, uh, and, and borrowers in a, in a way that could be hugely serious for the economy. The problem is, because they've got to do that, there's been all of this talk about, oh my God, there's a fiscal black hole, which is like the polar opposite of what and Kwarteng were saying, which was, oh, it's all right, we'll just, you know, growth accelerate, means that even though we're kind of heading into a recession, we are going to take a contractionary approach of trying to fill that black hole. That's whatever way you do it, whether you do it with spending cuts or tax rises, it is sucking money out of the economy um, at a time when we're going into a recession. And so probably this budget will make the economy worse it will just make the economy less worse than crashing the markets again. If that makes sense. <laughs> no, that's a really that's a really good point. We're sort of putting that into the context of we had the weird thing of of uh, Liz Truss's plan was supposed to pile money into the economy when inflation was booming, which would have an inflationary effect. And actually, now we're going to have a contraction uh, budget at a time of recession, which is which again is, goes against the, the normal uh, grain of things. Rachel, it's interesting that we're normally when we do Think Tank Thursdays, we're talking about policy ideas to sort of make the country a better place, make it work better, improve the lives of people. There's something sort of strange, you know, that isn't the point of this. And that's normally what you think the government is for. That isn't really the point of this. It's not, I, mean, I suppose, whether or not you do tax rises or, or spending cuts it is ideological, but it's sort of, the, the pitch really from Rishi Sunak and Jeremy Hunt is more managerial. It's not about, you know, improving the country. It's about, you know, fixing fixing a hole, you know, fixing a problem, filling a hole. There's not a lot of ideas there. Yes, although I think the way in which they do it will tell you quite a lot about what they think matters to the country and the economy. So to take some kind of obvious examples, how much are they going to cut capital expenditure, which tends to be the thing that you invest in in the long term. It might be um, roads and rails. It might be R&D. It might be other things. So how much are they going to cut that versus other things? How much are they going to um, focus on tax rises, which might change whether people invest versus tax rises that people kind of feel on the streets? There's still different ways in which this does actually tell you a lot about what they think makes a big difference um, in the country. My guess is that they will also want to try and show some kind of long-term path. So they, you know, they've already set out this kind of idea of ideas. I can never remember the three. Ideas, people, capital, I think being the three big things that they care about for growth, they will want to say something about those. Uh, so, so these do matter. And in some ways they matter a lot more than the like, tiny little tweaks that we were discussing last week of this minor tax change here or this 
change to fly tipping over here. These are the things that really changed the country. And because you've been, you know, you've been involved with conservative politics for a long time, and you know, you helped write the manifesto, which won that majority for Boris Johnson uh, three years ago. Is there, is there a moment where today is not going to be the day they, they people look back and say the Tories lost the election? Because I suspect Liz Truss had a good old. That happened. <laughs> is there any way that today is the turning point that that could be the day we look back as the point at which the Tories won the election? I think that's almost impossible. I think you could say that this is the this is the day they live to fight another day. So all the classic kind of conservative playbook stuff, uh, you know, like trying to create some room to ta- re- reduce taxes just before an election, trying to create room so that you can say that you are increasing public investment again before an election. Those are options. Um, but I would measure today by are they doing anything insane? I expect they won't. But are they doing anything insane? Are they clearly choosing which political coalition they're going after uh, next time? Because there isn't a a real choice between your kind of more lower middle class, uh, kind of just about managing voters and your more traditional, slightly wealthier kind of southern conservative voters. Are they making a choice there? Um, And how much are they willing to cut things that matter long term in order to save themselves some political pain now? I think those are better judgments than winning an election. That's impossible. When you talk about doing mad things, obviously what, what really sticks to my mind is the pasty tax. Um, uh, <laughs> Polly, you were in number 10 at the time of the pasty tax and uh, George Osborne's uh, omni-shambles uh, budget. Um, but you, you think it was a good idea? I, I do. I, I was actually on maternity leave, so I'm sure oh, so you've ah, been there. It's an idea we that you support, but you're washing your hands off. Uh, it wasn't my fault, but <laughs> um, but I, I would have defended it if I had been in there. Absolutely. So, you know, it's one of those things where, I mean, Rachel's right. Like, you know, it's the big moves about things like capital gains tax or income tax or investment reliefs that move the economy. But we have such a com- complicated tax system, particularly around things like VAT. You know, that recently there was... Um, you know, we, we all know about the debate between a Jaffa cakes and whether they're a cake or a biscuit because the different VAT re- regime. Recently, there was a, a VAT challenge about whether a flapjack, a protein flapjack is a health bar or a cake. Because <laughs> again, different, different VAT regimes. And it, it all centered on whether you eat it standing up or whether you might put it on a plate. And the, the pasty tax was an attempt to eliminate one of the stupid madnesses around purchasing hot food versus cold food cold food and it's so interesting the way sometimes sensible rational policy making can become a lightning rod often because you're changing a mad system for a sensible one you automatically get a slightly mad sense of a mad set of changes and it's the old system's fault not the new ones but it turns into so, so much more of an interesting debate than the complexity of the structure of an investment relief for entrepreneurs. That, that That's what everybody focuses yeah, on yeah. and it turns into a catastrophe and you can never make the tax system more rational. Well, also, I-, I suppose to defend it, I think a lot of people's view is that when we say we simplify the tax system, it always involves raising a tax rather than reducing all the others, uh, which might be a, a more... <laughs> I love the Pacey tax because it reminds me of how wonderfully trivial politics used to be. Uh, That is very true. I I had a whole bit in my stand-up show about the glory days where um, the biggest thing that happened in British politics was David Cameron lied about the last time he had a pasty. 
and that really mattered because the pasty really? shop he claimed he'd been to had shut down. Oh, happy days. I feel like moist-eyed at the very thought of it. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. And we bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcasts from.